Hello everyone, my name is Wyatt. And I'm Andrew. And today's episode of the History Brothers Podcast, we will be doing our second year anniversary special. That's right. Today we're going to start, we're going to review, re-review, well first off, it's kind of a celebration of our podcast for over right. two years now, of course, which we're really pumped about. And it, we're gonna, it, the, well, this episode is uh, a, f- a few days late, our actual very first episode was released on May 12th. 27th yeah 2021 yeah yeah because it yeah. was right after we graduated after the senior year yeah yeah and we kind of we were gonna do it sooner but we just yeah. stuff got in the way so but yeah no so here we are now we're gonna be talking further about um uh, basically we're gonna re-review our top five movies more definitive list yep compared to our previous list it is and, definitely more definitive it yes. just might change later on again yes we'll you know see. as everybody does <laughs> and yeah and then we're going to talk more about history and writing, why we love it so much. And then what were we concluding with again, Wyatt? Uh, top five Disney movies. Uh, no Pixar or Marvel or Star Wars. Yeah, just straight up Disney, like what they have done. Mainly, so. Andrew was thinking animated and live action. I was just thinking animated, but... Yeah, yeah. so we had our list for those and stuff. As usual, we have our different opinions, as always. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Wyatt, why don't you take it away for top five movies? So top five movies. So I'm going to start from the fifth place. So, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Fifth place, I have Ford versus Ferrari. So originally, this was like my number three, I believe, when we did the one-year anniversary special. Reason I switched is because there was a couple of movies I wanted to include in my top five that I thought were better. Um, Ford versus Ferrari, still an excellent movie about um, what was it? Ken Miles, the driver. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, Shelby and Carol, Sh- Carol Shelby. Shelby. The, uh, both of them were racers, but Carol Shelby was more of a car designer, and Ken Miles was the driver. Yes. And they both worked together c- to create uh, the Ford car that would win, what is it? The the Le Mans Grand Prix in uh, Europe. Yeah, in France. It, yeah, in it's, France. It's the, one of the longest uh, races you can have for a race car. For 48 hours. 48 hours, yep. Non-stop. It's crazy. Honestly. Like, they have their switch drivers in order to, so that one guy, driver can take a break, and then the other driver can go forward. Yeah. And- <laughs> I, I don't know how how they do it, but yeah, it's crazy. It's a really good, really inspiring movie. I really like it because it's basically um, showing that even if no one else is watching you while you're focusing on your craft, whatever that is, in this case of the movie Ford vs. Ferrari, it's cars. Mm-hmm. Even if no one's paying attention, even if no one thinks what you're doing matters, it does matter. And that's kind of the lesson I get from Ken Miles and how he teaches his son about the importance of like getting the feel for the car. You know, yeah. evening... Mm-hmm. At part where they're on the bay. yeah, and they're walking the strip there. Yeah. yeah, oh, it was a really good scene. It's so good. <laughs> um, new to my top five is uh, the longest day, number f- four on my list. The longest day is actually a 1962 film about uh, the D-Day invasion. Originally, it was actually based off a book. So originally from a book, but then created into a movie. It's actually one of the more historically accurate uh, World War Two films, not just because of what they include for the sets and the warships, but also they use some, I believe they do use some real, like, actual World War II footage of D-Day that was yeah. taken. And honestly, so, there are times where I'm like, I don't know which is which, which is like the, which scenes are, I mean, you can sometimes tell, but there are yeah. some scenes where I'm like, is this the actual film of the invasion, or is this like just them filming a scene yeah. also it does give while it does primarily focus on the allies it does give perspective of the germans and what they're thinking the allies like will do like literally there's a conversation in german between two german like higher-ups who discuss like 
oh, where do we think the allies are going to invade? It's like, no, they're going to invade over here on this beach where it's like smooth, flat, and yeah. easy. But that's where the Germans put all their forces. So yeah. the allies knew it's like, we got to go to Normandy, which is very difficult. Because right. it's high up cliffs. Uh, most And even though those uh, places were well fortified... Uh, Normandy was well fortified. It was a lot less fortified compared to, or much less fortified compared to uh, the beach where it was flatter. I forgot yeah. the name of it. I know Normandy was where they invaded, but yeah. I can't remember. But yeah, it gives both perspectives of the Allies and the Germans. And it's just a really fascinating film. Also includes the uh, actors Sean Connery, uh, John, John Wayne. Wayne, and Henry Fonda. Yeah. Who plays one a significant character in my... Number, th- could you open that? Oh, yep. Sorry. If if uh, Henry Fonda plays a significant character, and my number three choice for my top five films, which is Twelve Angry Men, Twelve Angry Men. So it's been redone uh, about once or twice. It's a really good film. The original came out, I believe, in the fifties. Yeah, I think nineteen fifty six. I think. Yeah. So about six years before uh, Longest Day. Yeah. So a few years before that, but Henry Fonda, you know, this is around the time he's one of those big name actors. Oh yeah. And uh, they're, ironically, also the guy who voiced Piglet for most of... Uh, Winnie the Pooh. From yeah. Winnie the Pooh is yeah. juror number two in the film. You could tell because he's got the lighter voice. Nice voice, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny. But um, uh, Twelve Anger Mend is a great film, and it's one of the highest rated, like, older films, as well as one of the highest rated films ever. Like, there's this film review website that's really fun called Letterboxd. Yeah. The... It is basically unanimous consent that this is a great film. Like, the major- the top three rankings are four, four and a half, and five stars. Dang. And also, it the film has 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. It, it's, it's a really well-made film. Everything takes place within a juror room. There are 12 jurors. It's originally based off of a play that was written, and I actually read the script for an English course. I was actually... I portrayed juror number two, <laughs> which is kind of funny. And right. I had to write a short reflection... Uh, if, whether or not I thought it, the guy in question was guilty or not. Yeah. And I made it him kind of think like, pick it like, oh dear, I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> like so uncertain that he doesn't know. Right. And uh, it, it's just, I, I just kind of have fun with that. But also we watched the movie and the movie is excellent. After viewing it a second a time with, with Andrew, I'm like, this is honestly one of the best films it's I've It's a watched. masterpiece. It was a It really is. The, the tension, the buildup, the discussion about the evidence it's just it all builds up so well and by the end you're you're you feel you feel very satisfied but you also because of their because you don't fully know all the information just like the jurors yeah like you don't know absolutely everything it's like well is he guilty or is he not yeah even with their decision their decision was very informed Mm -hmm. and thought and well thought out but it's like is are they right right i don't know it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's also a funny side note too. Um, after you and me watched that movie two weeks ago, yeah. when I went on my flight, that was one of the movies on the list of movies I could watch. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you could have watched it again. I know I, I considered it, but I wanted uh, to watch airplane movies for some reason. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, let's see. Mm, uh, number two, number two is Interstellar. So originally, I had Inception as my second favorite film. But I and while I was on the fence between Interstellar and Inter- in Inception, Inception, gosh, those words could easily be Interstellar so. Inception. <laughs> yeah, that's a real tongue twister. But yeah. um, I chose Interstellar over Inception because I think of Christopher Nolan's films, it is his most original. 
is most grand and his and honestly the music score written by Hans Zimmer is one of the best I I have heard also it's considered his best score and arguably one of the best scores for a film ever written yeah. ever composed apparently uh, according uh, I, I can't um, uh, I think it was like a uh, Christopher Nolan like film fan account yeah. but like apparently Christopher Nolan asked Hans Zimmer to write a score about a father-daughter relationship or or family and after listening to it Christopher Nolan said well I guess I gotta make the movie and that film was <laughs> interstellar I mean honestly I could totally believe that happening because I'm like right? that, that's how those create cre- that's how creative people work they're like hey could you create this based off of this kind of idea it's like sure it's like and after doing it, you're like, huh, I think I need to create this based off this. Right. <laughs> but which is, a, which is really funny. And also, like, Interstellar was super big. It actually, ironically, did not do well at the box office at first. I think the first couple of weeks it wasn't doing so well. Yeah. But then afterwards, it steadily grew and was a, a big sell uh, at the movie theater. In fact, it was so big that, like, famous scientists like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Stephen Hawking, and others, like, went to, to like, a big premiere for it. Because a lot, because Christopher Nolan actually did. He actually spent time at a university taking classes on the physics of it. Yeah. And when he, it was actually interesting because when they put in a math equation to like calculate what a black hole looked like, because yeah. we actually didn't have any images of black holes. Then, right. It's only been like in the past couple of years we've actually made images. Create. We've actually been able to take images of black holes. Yeah. But um, when a math equation was put in that was done by an actual scientist and they put it into their uh, computer to animate the uh, black hole. The scientist looked at it as like, huh, that that's interesting. Or like he, yeah. he observed it and he was like, that actually makes sense that yeah. the black hole looked like that. Right. And so it's really interesting that they actually used real science, real physics to make the movie feel more connected to real life. Also the fact that the story connects with relationships between a uh, father and daughter. Right. And again, Nolan using his common uh, theme of uh, time uh, in his films. Um, it's especially prevalent in Interstellar. I think that's the film. Right. That and maybe, uh, what was his latest one? Tenet. Tenet. Well, that was yeah. totally about time. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a big theme in Tenet this time. Yeah. Um, and my number one film, I will say is still 1917. I still absolutely love that film. What? The masterpiece. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there are good World War One films out there, and then there's the best. And yep. 1917 is up is up there, I think, as the best. Also, World War One is a hard film to talk about just because, like, it, it's the lines between who's good and who's bad seems, like, harder to draw. Yeah. But, um... It's really interesting that they're able to portray a really, a really good story about um, a guy who's willing to sacrifice everything just to get a message across to save some men. Right. And um, you you explained to me that the director based the story off of letters uh, by was it his grandfather? Uh, stories that his grandfather told him and stuff like that when he served. Right. And letters, yeah, I believe letters. They it wasn't specifically a true story, but like right, it was a fictionalized version of true events. Yes, and they even say 
They even say that, I think, at the end of the film, too. They leave, like, a, like a little afterthought. Right. I, I have to look at that again to read the specifics. But, yeah, 1917, still my number one. So, briefly, go over my list again. Number five is Four versus Ferrari. Number four is The Longest Day. Number three is Twelve Angry Men. Number two is Interstellar. And number one is 1917. Uh, as much as I love sci-fi epic the sci-fi epic of interstellar i think 1917 beat it out of the park i love real life gritty uh war related films yeah that really capture uh really the struggle of what war is and right i think the longest day and especially 1917 do that so well for the respective wars oh yeah so yeah, no, that is always a good one too. Those movies are always good. I haven't seen Longest. No, no, that's not true. I've seen clips of Longest Day. Yeah, um, I watched that when I was on vacation once. But so my here is my top five, and it's not much changed compared to last time. I did modify it just a smidge, nothing too crazy. Um, excuse me, I had like a very quiet lawn burp. It was weird. Um, so first off, I like to talk about my honorable mentions. Honorable mentions because they kind of. I should have had honorable mentions, but I know it kind of came into my head right as we were talking. Honestly, because uh, these are movies that are so good, and I, I would I would kind of swap them out a lot with my top five movies because they're just really good. Uh, one of them was one I recently just watched in uh, back in my vacation last weekend in California. It's called A Big Hand for a Little Lady. Um, believe me, I know it's a weird title. I know it stars Henry Fonda. It's another 1950s. It was a 1950s western. Oh. This family comes into town, and the husband, who is a, a recovering uh, gambler addict, um, finds this big legendary um, poker game that happens once a year in this town. These big three and these big three, four guys come in to do this game. Well, he slowly gets drawn into playing again and stuff like that. Oh boy! And uh, he. Um, Loses everything in this poker game, <laughs> and uh, but and, and he's finally he gets another round. He's gonna try something different one more time. Try to do it back. And his wife's trying to get him out of here when he has a stroke oh. and he collapses. So it's up to the wife to finish the game with what hand that he has, oh, and that's gosh. the plot of the movie. And from there, what happens in this movie? Like I did not see it coming. I was blown away. But for a movie in the nineteen fifties, I was impressed at how they did it because I literally did not see what what was gonna happen in this movie. I wanted to know. It's kind of like um. If you're familiar with the short story, the La- the Lady or the Tiger by Owen Henry, it's one of those stories like she, where like she could have this, she could have that. We don't know. We don't really know what she has. What does she have? And you won't find out till the end of the movie and stuff. And it's just it's a very well re- well written, well structured film, and it's really well done. Second honorable mention is Rare Window by Alfred Hitchcock, starring James Stewart. It's about a guy who's a paraplegic. Well, not paraplegic. No, no, no. Sorry. Forgive me for saying that if people who are paraplegic. My bad. Um, he, he has a broken leg. Or broken something. leg, yeah. There was a, there was a TV remake starring Christopher Reeve who was a paraplegic oh, in the film. Gotcha. That's what I was mixing it up with. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Oh, my gosh. No, my Jimmy brain. Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. We're talking about the, the original. Hitch- yep. The original Alfred Hitchcock. Jimmy Stewart is a former reporter, a guy who just goes in on the action, doesn't care the dangers or anything, just wants a good shot. He got injured by a car crash that happened, and he hurt his leg while trying to take out of his award-winning photo. Now, he's bored. He's in the summer. It's bored trying to find something to do. It's also really hot out, and the fact that he has a cast on his leg makes it hard to bear the heat. And annoying, yeah. No AC, no nothing. Just like this apartment complex. But what Alfred Hitchcock does, though, alongside showing this character and the characters he interacts with, he, he moves the camera around this big area, which they fully constructed to make this whole big set. 
like a three-floor set for everything to make it look like at an apartment complex in New York. And basically, you would discover all these individual characters. Excuse, excuse me, I'm burping a lot. Man, that keeps moving around into basically different characters, what they're doing. And they, they actually focus on those characters a lot over the course of the film and see what's going on. In the meantime, though, t- the tension rises because uh, Jimmy Stewart's character could have sworn he saw a, mur- a guy murder his wife or heard a guy murder his wife. Yeah. And that's where the mystery begins. And that's where the tensity like, develops as each scene happens. And yeah. it is one of Alfred Hitchcock's best movies, and it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It, it was so good. It is. The intensity builds up very well, and I yeah. like how it doesn't like rush itself. That's no. the thing I love about other movies. They don't rush the build-up. Yeah, or even the music. Like sometimes the music, like they try to build up the suspense with the music. We're going da 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 da. Yeah. But whereas this movie is just like quiet. And the fact that like this film t- took place in like the same vicinity throughout the whole thing, I was actually surprised that I it was and it was as intense as it was, and it was like that good. Yeah, they like instructed such close detail on it, and that's what that's why Alfred Hitchcock is one of the best filmmakers of all time. That, that's probably so why. Detail. That's probably why it's so good, is because like in focusing it on a specific area, it's going to force you to pay attention to details. Yeah, and try to figure it out as the characters are. So exactly, it makes perfect sense, right? And then the last honorable mention I had was about Casablanca, the 1940s Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman. One of the all-time greatest movies of all time. That was that was originally in your top five. It, I think it was tied for their fourth or fifth place. It it was yes. It was one of my because it was because if you guys remember the last time we talked, I had like a, a lot of tiebreakers on a, my list. You had like a three three way tie on four and five and yeah. stuff. And but Casablanca is one of the greatest movies of all time uh, about a about the city in Africa, which does exist by the way. And um, during World War II, during the Nazi regime taking over around there, and basically it's just a game of espionage and spies about these stolen plans and stuff. And Germans trying to get it, one guy's trying to get it, and in the center is this guy played by Humphrey Bogart. Is the Ark of the Covenant involved? No, it's not. Uh, but <laughs> but involves some uh, doesn't buy, kind of trade secrets for the war and stuff like that. But you have Humphrey Bogart's character who's in the middle of it all, who doesn't give really give a flying flying rat's butt about it. He really just doesn't care. And but then in walks the the woman who walked out on him in Paris and stuff like From that. Indiana Jones. No, <laughs> and she's tied to all this as well and stuff like that, giving this big. Um, mystery into this espionage and it's a really well-crafted story it has so many iconic lines like here's look at you kid and all that type of stuff it just it's amazing but anyways. i'm just being facetious because you, you said nazis and espionage and spies and i thought oh indiana jones indiana kind jones of. yeah kind of but not kind really the, this yeah. one's actually espionage not like an adventure Ar- movie where indiana jones temples. is adventure and archaeology yeah and then, whereas this one's actually full-on espionage but um no highly recommend the movie it's it was a great honorable mention but here are my top five movies Number five, and 42, The Jackie Robinson Story. That is without a doubt one of the most inspiring and most influential movies I've ever seen. It is, not, uh, it is to me, one, one of the best movies I've uh, ever watched. It stars Harrison Ford as Ricky, um, Ricky Branch, who was at the time the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers before they moved, and he was the one who wanted, decided it was time to get an African-American baseball player into the team. Right. And the, this movie, then they showed basically, it kind of, 
gives an overview of Jackie Robinson's life. They talk about it over like some files and stuff, and then they show his early career in the first year of playing baseball for the Dodgers and also the Monarchs, which was a minor league team. Which, if you join that team, you go up to the Dodgers eventually. Oh. They do. They do have a lot of sports teams these days. Like if you look at um. Like, the, not, there's not just the NFL, there's the league below it, like the XFL. Yeah, and there's which, like, a, yeah. Which or, sometimes those guys will get into the NFL, maybe. Yeah, or like the the uh, St. Paul Saints. Those guys... They're get, not in the MLB, but like they're... They're minor league. Yeah, they're, they're minor league baseball, league. but they're good enough, and then people, a lot of people notice, they move up to the major, the Twins or stuff like that, or right. to other teams. Yeah. And then, or like on the Iowa Cubs, they go for another baseball. I think they go for either the Twins or somewhere else and stuff like that. Interesting. And, and yes, the Iowa Cubs do exist. Um, <laughs> but yes, no. Um, and then, they basically highlight his first year there, the struggles and the triumphs that he encounters in, the, in this movie, or in his life at that time. And a lot of the stories that they actually did, they actually... What makes the movie so great is how they were able to basically construct a lot of true events that occurred during the film or during these events. They actually stuck pretty close to what actually happened in real life. And they were able to do the perfect casting. They were able to do so many awesome moments in there. And also a shout out to Chadwick Boseman because that was one of his earliest movies ever. Oh. And it was one, and it was honestly that's for the first movie I ever watched him in. Nice. And um, no, he just did an exceptional job as Jackie Robinson. I still. I think he he was meant for the role of T'Challa. Oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. It's just sad that he died so early because it's like, dude, you had so much more to do as T'Challa. I know, but it wasn't his choice either. So it's just no, I know. It's just it's just sad. Oh, I agree. I full I full heartedly agree. It was hard. It's hard to see Black Panther. Uh, without him without him yeah. oh, I agree why do you think that movie was so hard to watch the second one because oh, it was yeah. so emotional right. um, anyways uh, number four let's see if I remember review my list here number four was um, trying to remember oh yeah now I remember um, it's um, no I don't remember um, I literally had my list in my head a few seconds ago um, it was Jackie Robinson from number five number four McClintock. McClintock is number yep. four, which originally was my number three. McClintock is a 1966 uh, John Wayne Western. It, what really stands out to me about this movie is how comedic it is. The, you know, most John Wayne Westerns, they're the tough, manly guy who does yeah. stuff, which he still portrays that role in this movie, of course, which is why it makes John, which is why John Wayne is so awesome in his movies. Right. But this one has a more comedic feel to it because like, they try to sell all these like stuff like – he, his wife moves back into town. His separated wife moves back into town and stuff like that. They have this conflict back and forth. You know, he does and she does and all that jazz. And, like, there's all these other stuff he has to deal with involving some Indian territory, involving some other stuff. But they do it with such an effect. Not where it's um, a satire, but, like, where it's um, basically, like, um, day-to-day life and stuff like that where there's some comedic issues happen. And, again, it has one of the most hilarious lines in all time. And I'm pretty sure I just mentioned this on our first year anniversary. A scene where like John Wayne, um, um, some people try to kill some Indians because uh, one guy's daughter went missing, and they oh. blamed on the Indians. And um, John Wayne's character, uh, McClintock, um, they he's like trying to stop this from from any s- serious issues breaking out. And all of a sudden, they find the daughter. You find out this this one guy or ever romanced her to, t- to go run away for a little bit and have some fun, just a romantic day, morning stuff. And um, basically, uh, John Wayne's character just gets a little upset that this guy pointed a gun at him because the guy was the guy who was trying to incite this whole thing of killing the Indians was the girl's father. And like the scene basically goes, he's trying to apologize, 
But John Wayne's just like all smoked up. He's like, dude, you threatened to put a gun at me and stuff like that. And he jumps yeah. his gun. He's like grabs a gun and like one of the guys is trying to hold John Wayne back or whatever. Just like JW, no, or GW, like hold on a moment. He's like, Pilgrim, I've had a lot of things over my years, but I'm not going to lose my temper. Tosses the gun back to him. I won't. I won't. The hell I won't. Smacks him <laughs> and yeah. goes all the way down a, ma- a hill on a mud And eventually everyone falls Yeah, it's because eventually he starts to do a big old, old-fashioned brawl. It's hilarious. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes of all time. But um, it's just, it's a very funny movie. I mean, obviously there's a some stuff people were like, wait a minute, why do they have that in, the, in that film or whatever? 60s, you know, depicting historical stuff in the 60s and everything else. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, highly recommend that one. Number three is Knives Out. That is... A murder mystery directed by Ryan Johnson, starring Daniel Craig, Anya de Armas, and a whole list of other stars. And it's about this murder mystery about this author who died in his house. And people thought it was a suicide, but you later find out it was murder. And, excuse me, and with that, they basically, the whole mystery is the detective, Benoit Blanc, has to find out who killed the author. Yeah. But what the, what's really masterful about this movie is, is like, it's a satire about murder mysteries because it makes fun of it a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, it makes itself into one of the best murder mysteries I've ever seen because he, while it makes fun of it, it show, the, the attention to detail in the film shows how much the, uh, this director loved murder mysteries. Because right. he really, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic. Who done it? Uh, who done it, but with like a modern ideas and understandings. Of like, yeah. yeah. And a lot of satires to make fun of that as well and stuff and, like that. And, it, and it's... And it's kind of a satire also on modern American culture, at least yeah. specifically with like wealthier Americans. Exactly, yeah. And, it and just, especially our political discussions. Yes, exactly. And they, yes, they did a very excellent job of just depicting that, as well as um, alongside satire, like people would, like they would make references like, you'll be my Watson and I'll be Sherlock Holmes or something like that. Yeah. Or like someone, they show Grandmama watching uh, Murder, She Wrote and yeah. stuff like that. And they just had all these references. It was being their own whodunit, but also making fun of whodunits at the right. same time. Yeah. And again, the attention to detail, there's so many times I've watched that movie and there's so many things I just didn't realize the first time. And I just, it keeps blowing my mind away. It's one of my top five favorites, number three at least. Now, number two, this one would be um, Ford versus Ferrari. That one, again, why well, I discussed a lot of it from that one time. But one thing I would like to say about this movie also is just like, one thing is the good moral issue, the moralness about it all. They kind of highlight the difference between corporate and those who work. Yeah, and because like the corporates, the ones, the rich that they go out to eat at night. Well, it's it's the guy who's marketing, selling the product. Yeah, and trying to make the company look good versus actually like uh, honoring the people who did the work. Yeah. So so it is though that kind of corporate versus work, yeah though in some sense like there's certain moments of, like where they're trying to create their own vehicle trying to make sure they keep things together and what they're wanting to work on when, when they lock him up in the office <laughs> yep <laughs> and um, basically uh, it's just how I, and also the other thing I would say too is is how um, how did I say it oh yeah basically it's also what was really funny is how like um like I said lock him in the office but like corporate's like trying to do like well, we want this thing. We don't want this guy. I want this other guy instead. We don't want this car part here. Like, we have yeah. to use these modern technology. And like the guy's just like, 
why are we using this? Get rid of this junk. Toss oh, like outside yeah. of the car. Puts all this other stuff to, to streamline the vehicle to see how fast it can run. Right. And, and make those sharp turns. That yeah. was like the big thing. And the brakes. Make sure they work on those sharp turns. Yeah, exactly. And it's, just, it's basically leaving it to the professionals who have driven cars, who know how to work the cars. Right. They make them easier. And it just – it was one of the best movies. Now, for me – I don't watch racing. I find it boring. I find it – well, not boring. I just, I just lose interest Ooh, easily. Yeah. And it's just um, – but watching that movie, like they make you feel like you're in the car. Like, I you're know. Next to it. And that's what made the movie so amazing because it it's just – It's also all the inspiring stuff that goes on behind or like around before and after like the races and yeah. like whatnot. And, and how they're able to keep that to detail too, learning about the cars and everything, how all, they work. Also the move. tension between characters and the chemistry. Is yes. Like, yeah, there's yes. both tension and chemistry. It's played so well. There's certain actors that just choose for characters and they just fit so well together and stuff like that. It just makes me sad they don't do more movies together. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that I'm one. I'm responsible for the release of the Mustang. Well, at least we know who's responsible. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or, the, or the big fight scene. <laughs> All right, you want to say I'm oh, sorry? Yeah. Well, all right, fine, I'm sorry. You, get, you want to just say something? Just punch him in the face. And, and, they start and the guy's calling. wife just comes out and watches like... Grabs a chair, grabs a Coke yeah. and a magazine. <laughs> just <Yeah>. sits. <laughs> no, it, it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's so good. and it is. I, I watch it like literally every year just to watch because it just... Oh, so amazing how they made it. Yeah. My number one movie, and why it's going to be like, of course it is. Uh, my number one favorite movie is The Avengers. Mm. The Avengers is my all-time favorite movie because one thing is just because, again, it, it was filmmakers making something that has never been done before. They never, we've never seen like a, where they created a multiple use of movies and were able to push them all together into one big film and actually tied it cohesively together into one big event. And it just, the movie was just one of the best things I ever saw because visually and storylized, they did a very good job. The visuals were spectacular. The story was well written. And I honestly loved the audience reaction in that movie with Hulk. I'm a god, you will equip. I'll be bullied by a wham, 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 wham. Puny god. (laughs) Literally, people cheered when that scene happened when I saw that in theaters. I will never forget it. <laughs> Lucky crying out in pain. I know. Then Thor Ragnarok. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, the first original Avengers to me it was the best Marvel movie I have seen. The best movie I have seen ever. Um, is there flaws? Yes, but at the same time, it's just like it was. It's pretty good for what it did. I mean, it's a near perfect movie. They do a very good job with it, and it just how they're able to manage to keep the characters, the actors together, being the chemistry together, and being able to just bring in all these elements that happened in the previous five movies that came yeah. before it is they tied it in so well together and i was very much impressed and it set up for what the biggest movie saga ever of the infinity yeah. saga which was incredible and uh no that's my number one favorite movie and i just yeah i'll never forget that the movie experience there was just everybody talks about no way home and endgame but the original avengers man that was oh, an yeah. event <laughs> True. um anyways um so that was my top five movies the 42 Clint Talk, Knives Out, Ford vs. Ferrari, and The Avengers. Nice. Again, we all like we all mentioned before, it may change. That's everybody's yeah. It always changes for my, people. My my number five might change. I might sadly kick out Ford vs. Ferrari, which I don't want to do. I but know. I honestly might at some point. I know. But the and like it's the same with the honorable mentions. Like they rotate with the other movies I like True. and stuff. It's just like it goes back and forth. Yeah. But so now we're gonna move on to talking more about history and writing. Yeah. And why what did you want to start with? I mainly just wanted to talk about, like, um, when you study history, 
and you're into it, you will inevitably write about it or be a writer. I think when I think being a historian, whether it's in the professional sense or just that's what you you're a historian in the mindset sense. Right. We are. Uh, you will inevitably write whether it's about history or whether you will write a history about something that hasn't been covered in as much detail or that needs to be addressed. Or if, like, you're going to use history to write fiction, like Andrew, especially. <laughs> uh, or, like, a lot of, actually, uh, famous writers. Right. Um, history will be one of those big things that impacts your influence in writing. Now, obviously, you can do other subjects and become a writer. Like, the guy who wrote uh, The Martian and... Yeah. He also wrote the book Hail Mary. Yeah, which is also being adapted into a movie one of these days. Yeah, it probably will be. Um, he is, he's not a historian, he's a mechanical... Mechanical engineer or scientist, I know he, that he's, he's an engineer of some kind. Yeah. He uses that science in his writing. But like, yeah, it, it's interesting how with the subject matter, especially history, you often inevitably find people becoming writers. Yeah. Because, I mean, history teaches you to write because... And not just write, but write thoughtfully about what you're reading. Yeah. I mean, if with history, you're you're going to read a lot. Exactly. And yeah. because you read a lot, you will inevitably be writing in some form. Right. And uh, that's what leads people to either write about history, become historians, become writers uh, in whatever type of writing they do, or uh, become fiction writers. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. Um, one of the things I uh, wrote down for notes is interpreting history teaches you to write thoughtfully about it as well as just in general about anything really yeah. and uh yeah many fiction writers are inspired by what they research in history so like one good example is i I don't know what he specifically researched in history that's inspired him but neil gaiman the guy who wrote yeah his own version of norse mythology uh yeah. Coraline, Coraline, um uh, stardust uh, american gods american gods good omens <laughs> yeah anyways <laughs> um anything you want to add to that andrew so, this is just not a plea, but encouragement. People, I'm hoping our podcast has made you more and more invested in history, more yeah. and more interested. We don't want to make this boring by any stretch of the imagination. No. But to me, it's like, for history... I mean, lot, I think that's been our goal this whole time, is to encourage people to be interested in history. Exactly. It, to, even if it's an only in an introductory way, it, that's, exactly. that's better than nothing to us because history is so and i think anyone can understand it no matter what level you're at right it, it just i think often the misperception is like history oh that's a scholarly type subject it yeah only the most intelligent should read and understand it and that's why it's kind of boring and while that is true there are lots of scholarly books that to most people are uninteresting yeah and sometimes there are history books written for popular audience that are too focused on reaching that audience without maintaining the historical integrity. Yeah. It there I do think there are books out there. In fact, one I'm reading right now about church history that balances both well. Also, you kind of just have to dig around and find stuff. Also, also um there are of course article databases that have like, you know, yeah. various uh uh articles and journals written about historical topics that are easy easier bite-sized than just Yeah. to read than just, you know, picking up a big historical book. Exactly. Now, we love to do that. Yeah, maybe we you love don't. those books. Yeah, we love yeah. those stories. But, you know, just with, 
with the history, I, we, we are just hoping to make you more invested and to turn your mindset away from, oh, this is so boring, like you right. got from middle school or high school or elementary. Because then you're like, huh, maybe I can research that more. Well, find more information right. about this. Because history is not just telling of past events, uh, people and places. It's a, also about s- true stories that yeah, happened. exactly. Which can be very interesting and shape how... Uh, we view stories today. I mean, that's a big reason fiction writers always draw from history is because right. the history is filled with stories of the past. Yeah. And it's just, it's just game over more of a, like, and yeah, it's just gaming sure history can educate you and show you more, what ways it can be more fun to learn about it and just get to grow more in it. And like, even if it's like, even if it's like, the, to inspire you to look up some of the most ridiculous historical fiction movies I've ever seen, yeah. or some of the most, even just to find more historical elements related yeah. in films or books or shows or uh, articles and everything. And it's just with reading as well, it's just, I encourage reading a lot. Reading is one of the most important things we need to do today. And I'm not just talking about cell phone articles on the phone, yeah. I'm actually looking at a paper bound book, even if it is on a tablet, even if it's on a tablet, just reading. Right. Continuously reading more about like, whether it be history, science, math, um, fiction, just getting to learn more about how to interpret and ex- explore and see what this world is made of and what has been created with it. Right. But also just also with like um, that way maybe some of you from reading as well will be able to get inspired to write something about this. Right. Uh, well, not our podcast, but like something about like the fiction or history or science right. or math. Being able to do new things that people have not seen before or experienced. Right. Which is – Probably a good thing because based on what we've seen today in film and book standards, but yeah, but yeah, it's just trying to move forward, been not backward. Right. You know, the big thing is we just want to encourage you guys to not just like listen to our podcast. I mean, obviously we want you to listen, but like not just listen, but also take what you hear from us and be encouraged to pursue understanding history at some level. Like I once talked to a lady who actually, um, she had she was actually when we had recently moved into our current house. And uh, she was helping paint the cabinets. We just started talking and we talked about history. And she's like, you know, for a long time I wasn't really interested. But now as time has gone on, I've actually become really interested in it. Yeah. I also told her about her podcast, so <laughs> another listener. But um, Nice. I, it's, uh, you can learn that history at any age, any time. Exactly. It, it's for everyone, completely. But also I think it matters what you do with it. Are you going to take it and apply it? to what you're learning about the world you live in right now, or are you just going to leave it on the bookshelf and let it collect dust? Yeah. Like a lot of books do, sadly. Right, unfortunately. Which we know from experience. But yep. <laughs> because but, we struggle to find time to read. Exactly. But yeah, and that, figuring out what to read. Exactly. <laughs> and that's basically some of our input for what we would talk about history and writing. Now... I, was there any other comments you wanted to make, or are we ready to move on no, to the No, that was topic? pretty good. I think we covered most of it. All right. Well, then, take it away. We're off for our third topic. Top five favorite Disney movies. The good ones. Yeah. Why not, you take it away? We're not including Pixar, Marvel, or Lucasfilm. Or any of um, the modern movies that are out for the 2010s onward. Are we? Did, uh, correct. All right. Okay, because I, I was... I'm like, I'm pretty sure I didn't include one. Like 2000s or 2010s, that's more recent. But... Yeah. Well, I did include a 2000s film. No, no 2000s, yes. 2010s, no, that's way uh, too recent. 2000s yeah. is good. Okay. Unfortunately, that's that's considered old movies now. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting old now. Yes. But... Uh, so, I'll start with my number five. So, and I 
Just to say, I assumed animated movies. Also, I'm curious, Andrew, why did you want to do Disney movies? Because I was just curious. I, I'm still... With Disney, I still have hope, but I'm not as huge a fan of Disney as I was way back when. I'm still yeah. a fan of Disney, but the newer newer content we've been re- getting released these days... Now, some of those shows are pretty decent, the ones they had on Disney+. Plus. But they got rid of them. So, yeah. but like, there's just been a lot of remakes and everything, a lot of older stuff. And I was just rewatching one of my favorite Disney movies a while back, and I was like, you know, let's have fun. let's have some fun. Let's talk about me and I always rant about Disney. Why don't we talk about our five favorite Disney movies on a yeah. podcast? <laughs> yeah, I I don't. I mean, quality the quality with their movies. I don't like the direction they're heading. I honestly think DreamWorks. Even in the 2010s, generally had better films than they did. At least, generally. If you're talking about, like, How to Train Your Dragon yeah. or other stuff, not Trolls. Th- no. Th- those don't count. Sorry, Trolls fans. We pr- apologize, but we just don't like those Oh, movies. I'm not apologizing for that. I know. I understand. <laughs> just yeah. for fun. Um, um, but so, yes, no, anyways, here's why it's top five. So my top five Disney movies, I'm going mainly just animated. Uh, top number five, Snow White. So Snow White... Uh, I believe was the yeah the original animated yep. Disney film. Yes, it was. It released in the '30s, and uh, yeah, it's considered a classic. I I don't know why, but I thought the Evil Queen's depiction before she turned you know old and wrinkly was actually really good for an animated villain. I think she's right? one of the best depicted animated Disney villains we've ever had. But she's just called Evil Queen, which is kind of sad because it's like she doesn't really have a name. Like with right. Sleeping Beauty, you get. Maleficent, right, or or you get Jafar, or right, well, back or in the, what, what, or what's her name, Ursula, Ursula, yeah, yeah. But back in those times, though, it was kind of like um, with Snow White, it was kind of like it was you're just here to see a story, not like, like for the in depth complexities of everything, right? Yeah, but no, Snow White, yeah, <laughs> that, that was fun. Um, also, I hate the theory that like she actually died and went to heaven. Yeah, that didn't happen. That, that, that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. That's just a dumb fan theory. That's just the artistry of depiction of people who misinterpret. Yeah. But anyways. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure her waking up from the kiss was like an actual... No, no, that was That was in the thing. original yes. story. Yes, but in the, that is the original story. But like... Yeah. But like... Because in the very last scene of the movie, they're going to a castle that like, looks like it's in the sky. So that's why people are right. interpreting it. I, I know why. Yeah. I, I just think it's a bad theory. Yeah. Uh, number four, so 101 Dalmatians. I think this was released in the 60s, 70s? Yeah, 50s, 50s. 50s, really? I have 50s. Oh, well, I'll do it. Exactly. <laughs> Another Disney villain they decided to butcher with a live-action remake. I would argue that one, but anyways, continue. Um, yeah, I... The reason I love this film, again, uh, the animation was is some of my favorite. I also just think it's a fun film about dogs. I've owned... A dog, not a Dalmatian ever, mainly just Rottweilers and Boxers, but I've owned a dog or had a dog since I was little. Uh, First Rottweiler was named Hollywood. Uh, I didn't know him as well as the other dogs we've had, but I remember a couple things with him. He was was a sweet dog. Uh, Very, very uh, protective. He was actually uh, my dad's police dog when my dad was a police officer. Nice. Yeah, and he was very well trained, very responsive. Yeah. Of course, that was before we came along, so the training was easier. <laughs> right. I, I don't... Yeah, it was like... Uh, my oldest sister knows him the best because she was alive for... She knew him the longest. So, right. Yeah. Um, number three... Also, I think it, the voice actors of 101 Dalmatians are just really good. 
You know, yeah, Coral Deville, the, the Anita, darling, her, her, minion, her two minions, um, yeah, uh, the two, and, uh, Anita and her husband, uh, yeah. the voice actors from Pongo and Purdy. Yeah. Also, I like how they meet in the park. It's kind of it's it's a little cheesy, but it, it works. It works pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of goof, goofy, oh, but nice. oh, it's awesome though. Uh, number three, and this one is primarily for the music. Um, not as much for the story, but more for the music because it's just excellent. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. The Bells of Notre Dame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it really is, I, I think, has some of the best Disney music of the 90s films. Also, um, people won't like me for saying this, but I think most of the 90s Disney films are overrated. How dare you Save for Hunchback, Sleeping Beauty. That was the 50s. No, not Sleeping Beauty. Sorry. I meant, <laughs> I was thinking 90s, so I'm like... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, say for uh, Hunchback, uh, I was thinking Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Sorry, there I mixed up go. the. Yeah. I thought I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Sleeping Beauty was like 1957. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Uh, and maybe Tarzan. Tarzan, I was kind of eh on the story, Ooh. but I really thought the music was excellent. Family. Yep. Yeah. Always good. Um, Phil Collins, great singer. Oh, yeah. Um. Number two would be Sleeping Beauty, as mm-hmm. I mentioned. I I looked this up, and I found out that the stepmother from the original Cinderella, the voice actress of her, is the same voice actress for Maleficent. Nice. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no wonder they sound similar. I thought, I thought they were the same person. Right? Yeah. Also, <laughs> Maleficent is one of the best Disney villains ever created. Oh, yeah. No, we're not talking about the crappy live-action remake that Disney decided to do. And make her an anti-hero. Again, I would argue that one, but there we go. Anyways. Worst live-action remake I think they've made. I would argue that one also. Anyways. <laughs> Which never needed a sequel. I am I thought, still so mad about those films. Mm. I thought the sequel was good. Anyways. <laughs> no, but like... Anyways, this just... See, this, uh, uh, to briefly explain why I don't like the live-action remakes or trying to make it like so the villain is someone you can root for... The whole point of these villains in their original films is for you not to like them. Yeah. The whole point of Coral Deville, she's evil. She yeah. wants to make coats out of puppies. Puppy, of puppies and dogs. Yeah. Like, you're not supposed to like that. No. You're also not supposed to like Maleficent because her whole intent is to bring down an entire kingdom. Yeah. And she knows that uh, without Aurora, there is no life in the kingdom. Yeah. It, and uh, she captures the prince... So without the king and queen to rule, the head and the heart, or yeah. uh, valor and uh, valor and justice combined with kindness, beauty, and fertility, yeah. uh, the kingdom will fall apart. Yeah. So it's a really good metaphor for that, or, or al- allegory or analogy, whatever yeah. it is, for that. And that's why I really like Sleeping Beauty. Also, ironically, even though it didn't do well at the box office, and it's why actually Disney decided to not do another Disney princess film for like 30 years. Yeah. Unless you count the princess in the Black Cauldron, but I don't think anyone That does. movie sucked. All right. Um, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I argue that one. I hated that movie. Um, anyways. Um, um, but yeah, Sleeping Beauty, uh, one of the best Disney villains ever made, and one of the best stories ever made. Also, yeah. one of the, I think, most underrated princesses Oh, yeah. Ever. Of course. She's up there with Belle, who is, like, also very kind. Oh, yeah. And um, my number one Disney film, I am a little biased, but I had to put Treasure Planet. Yeah. Originally, growing up with that film, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Still think it's one of the coolest things ever. It is a classic retelling of the original book and movie, Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. 
but it puts a really fun sci-fi adventure uh, uh, twist on it. Like scenes, everything. Honestly, it feels like it, it's it's a it feels like a completely different story almost. I know. Or a com- it's a completely different atmosphere. Same story, but different atmosphere. But right? it feels so different from what it was originally was, and. People have a high regard for it, even though it did not do well. Yeah. Uh, at the at the box office, it is still it's respected as one of the best, um, most underrated Disney films yeah. because it was a classic retelling of a story done well, done yeah, right. done right. I yeah. know. Oh, yeah, what a movie though. <laughs> but again, yeah, those classic Disney films. The whole point was never to root for them. Mm-hmm. So why would you make a film about rooting for them? <laughs> that's not even that great <laughs> uh yeah jay yeah jay i was still arguing that one but i got you so here are my top five disney movies and these include the live action films uh number five is the santa claus 2 um that was now me and white are very different opinions on these movies but santa claus 2 is one of my all-time favorite disney movies that i grew up with uh that one it was just it, it, it was just flew around some really great uh 2000s things first off but it was also just a, a simple story about Scott Calvin trying to Santa Claus trying to find the Mrs. Claus. I'll accept you choosing that one because I hate the first one. He's such a jerk. Anyways, let's continue before we get into another Santa Claus one. rant. Um, and, uh, but anyways, we um, that one was just really good. He has to like he's Santa Claus is doing he's like the best Santa Claus ever in the second movie. He's doing really well with the kids. However, he's losing his magic because there is a clause in the contract called the Mrs. Claus where he's got to find a wife in thirty days. And yep, and um, he has to go back. In the meantime, he's replaced by this toy Santa they created just to keep things alive forever. Otherwise, the elves will lose their moral and morale. That's what I'm looking for. And uh, eventually, the Santa Claus there turns into a tyrannical dictator. And Uh, I think Joseph saw him, but he has a white, but he's Santa Claus. Yeah. Like literally, here's the one. That not lines. actually as dark, like not as scary clear. and dark. Yeah, but, but like, I'm thinking of the suit he wears. It's oh like yeah, brown, dark. Oh yeah, lumps of coal and everything. Yeah, yeah. I always like. The, I always used to quote this line all the time. Knock knock. Say who's there? Who's there? Got, aren't you? Aren't you who? Aren't you supposed to get back to work? <laughs> I said it all the time as a kid. No, I have no idea why I did. Oh my I did. gosh, <laughs> you're, you're gonna make. You're gonna. You're gonna be good with dad jokes one day. Probably. Oh, I've been. You probably back. already are. Yeah. I've, I've been doing jokes a lot lately with my coworkers at work. Anyways, um, but I used to say a joke all the time to people. I'm pretty sure my parents would have to explain to them. We were watching Santa Claus too last night. <laughs> um, Imagine hearing kids say that to you. It's like, I know. is this kid sassing me? I know, right? Oh, <laughs> um, it's a really good story. They do a very good job with it. Just much. It was just one of the best movies I saw for Disney, and all of the best. Personally, my favorite in the Santa Claus trilogy. Uh, number four is Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet says it's not my number one or two or three. I'm sorry to say, but Treasure Planet is one of the best. Like Wyatt said, one of the best adaptations of Treasure Island ever. A great story, a great father son story. I would say they metaphorical. In that metaphorical story. Yes. because uh, Silver becomes like a villain. Uh, a fa- well, he's a villain, but also a father figure to the kid. Exactly. He's not. He is a villain, but not entirely. No, but he's that's not. That's so interesting. And he's not his father. It's just like a father figure. Also, but. that song that song while yeah. they're working together. And yeah. He sees how hard he's working. Yeah. Now the movie was just the visuals were stunning. Also directed by the legendary di- directors of Ron Clements and uh, I think Musker was his last name. I think Ron Clements actually helped co-direct How to Train Dragon, the first one. No, that was the um, that was. Um, 
I forget. It was Dean Debula and someone else. I want to say it was Ron Clemens. It wasn't Ron Clemens. It wasn't that okay. because it was somebody. I remember. I know who you're talking about because he those that duo also directed the original Lilo and Stitch. Oh, interesting. Um, but um, anyways, uh, so that oh, one that makes sense why Bass Toothless's look off Stitch. I know, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So then, um, but though that movie, they were also the ones who directed Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, uh, um, Princess and the Frog in the mid two thousands and stuff. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's one of it just it was such a beautifully designed movie and like yeah. I would say early three D two D stuff which was really cool uh, and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, not like not the blend that we see today. The in late, so films. the late nineties, early two thousands had this really good animation. Like not just uh, it's not just Disney that did it though. It was also DreamWorks with like the Prince of Egypt, Joseph, yeah. and uh, Sinbad. Yeah, Sinbad. Uh, yeah. Also. Uh, uh, the first Atlantis movie. Yeah. But it just, yeah, it was just, they combined, they did, it wasn't the, the mixture of it, like in the, in like in the Spider-Man movie, animated movies, right. like, that, like that came boots, with, the, into the Spider-Verse basically changed the Introduced animation. that concept, yeah. yeah. But this, um, but they introduced, within a 2D movie, a 3D ship or something like that. I think that would just right. looked so cool and lifelike. Um, but yeah, that was really cool. It was cool really done, well done for like, I think it was 2002. Yeah, 2000, yeah, 2002, 2000, yeah, yeah, 2002. Yeah. No, that one was just really good. Um, for me, at number three is um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Cause to me, I did the research behind Snow White, so it's a partial bias on that one. But because like the work they put into that movie is incredible, like Lily Walt Disney himself really brought his people into the studio and really reenacted a possible idea for the whole movie. Lily did all the characters and did everything, brought them all the tears <laughs> and everything else. And no, like they literally had so many test runs, so many other things. But again, the animation is just it is so beautifully drawn. Like mm-hmm. it looked, it looks like it's hand drawn the whole way through. And they did. I such, think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was such a well done movie, and everything from the the beautiful creatures to the hilarious dwarves to the evil wit, old evil queen. Like she was terrifying to oh, me. Oh yeah, kid. I was exactly. scared of her. I'm like. This is a little dark for the first animated film ever. I know. <laughs> terrified me. But also that movie paved the way for animation in or, years to come. Or maybe – or yeah. Well, I guess it is the first animated full-length feature, not first animated like thing. Maybe. Yeah, not sure film. No. Yeah, that. Popeye, Mickey and all that stuff. Yeah. Looney Tunes. But no, like it was the first theatrical film in animated form and that brought – And in color. Yes, and in color. And it brought more things to come, which the, which also inspired The Wizard of Oz in 1939. Yep. But um, yes, no. So that's number three. And also, I'm kind of talking a little faster because we're running low on time. Uh, number two was um, At Last, The Lost Empire. That's w- I liked it better than Treasure Planet. I'm sorry, but it, to me, that one doesn't leans more to my adventure side. I love oh, I adventure gotcha. movies. Fair enough. And that movie was just about a guy finding this shepherd's journal. Who was on a crew to go find it at last. And it is such a fun adventure movie. The characters there are so much fun. Well-constructed, too. Like... The, you don't, like they aren't barely in the movie, but they're not too much focused on either. But they're just the right amount where you like those characters and stuff, and they do a very good job with that. Like you know, everybody has their own favorite characters in that. The sequel, ignore it. It was terrible. The original is so good. I still thought the sequel was okay, but yeah, it's not great. It's just the it, ugh, I did not like it. Um, How'd you but, like it if I said it was better than the first one? I would fight you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you would be right to do so because that's a dumb. That's a dumb take on that i know right it was originally intended anyways as a series which is why the whole movie feels so discharted and feels like it goes in like 20 to 30 minute segments and it always in the, the in the connections were just so terrible how they connected each episode I don't think, it was bad. oh yeah because i mean it was originally intended as a series yeah and there was gonna be a sequel too but they kicked it out let's just like treasure planet there was they actually had a sequel plan and everything yeah and they had drawings yeah ready for treasure planet and for atlantis and it was bummer yeah but anyways my number one Favorite all-time Disney movie. 
Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. That movie to me was one of the that was my first epic like conclusion movie on the big screen. That was I was so pumped for that movie. I was I will never forget it. It was when all the pirates had to gather against the East India Trade Company and Davy Jones, who were teaming up together to take down the pirates, and all the pirate lords had to come together and take take not take over, but fight them and stuff like that. Right. It was such a brilliantly constructed film, really well done. I guess it does have its flaws, but it is such it's longer. But the lore they establish in it is so much fun, and how they just do the story is so well done. They tie up everything up really well in a nice bow while teasing the next adventure. It was a really great movie. And that is my top five Disney movies. Nice. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad we just included the live action remakes. Honestly, yeah, I, I, those should never be included uh, in the list. Unfortunately that doesn't go to my top five, unfortunately. So Good but, thing it doesn't. <laughs> or else I'll have to fight you on it. Oh I know, I know. Um, I, will, I will say though, for Maleficent and Cruella. Both of the actresses, especially Emma Stone with Corelle, did did very well. Oh yeah, no, Angelina Jolie was fantastic. I, that was the only reason I actually thought Corelle was like an above average film. Yeah, but I still kind of was like a bit let down by it. Yeah, I understand that. Well, because it's like they're trying again; they're trying to get you to root for her, but whatever. Yeah, well, I got you. I got you. I won't rehash that whole argument. Oh yeah. Um, so yes, that is our second second year anniversary special. Um, what are we talking about next week? Why or next time, Wyatt? I was thinking we'd do a little Q&A that I came up with uh, where we discuss what it's like being a history major. That works. Yeah. Let's do that. So, yeah, that will be where our next one, a Q&A session, will be up next. And then we'll be going back to our history stuff because we, we have a few lists of them down the road here. Yeah. I'm burping every time. What the heck, Wyatt? You literally uh-huh. drank soda. And water at the same well, time. Pop. I should say pop. Yeah, we meant a sentence to say pop. Gotta say pop, you know. Don't you know? It, it's not Coke. It's not soda. It's pop. So... Or, or if you're... Or if you're like some people, soda pop. I soda pop, yeah. I don't mind that one. That's too what much. my great grandmother actually said. Yeah, I don't mind that one too much. I don't mind it as much either. Yeah, but yeah, Q and A session will be our next time. And until then, guys, I'm Andrew, and I'm White. Hope you guys have a great day or night.